0: You're listening to a Marcus Marka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast.
1: 8.35 uh, Central African Time at uh, the time of the evening. May we join Anwar Qasim on his uh, segment, uh, Drive In uh, with Anwar. Anwar, assalamu alaikum uh, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing this uh, beautiful Tuesday evening, Anwar? Wa assalamu
0: Salam, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, brother Shafad, brought my family out for supper. Because we don't have lights, once again, in, in Sipingo Beach. I think I, you're totally aware of that because some station sort of, blew off at Toyota and obviously affected all the surrounding areas. But Alhamdulillah otherwise perfectly fine, gave us the opportunity to actually, you know, get together as a family, and yeah, that's about it. Now, you, are, you know, you're an
1: improviser and you're a sharp-minded person, and uh, you always make the B route and A route, and uh, you're gifted, Anwar. While uh, checking at your segment and F... Uh, Have you ever heard of a giga press, uh, Anwar? And uh, even, uh, you know, these uh, giant die-casts could reshape car manufacturing. And it seems, Anwar, this is what AI is going to do. A lot of people will be out of jobs, uh, but this machine here, there'll be no strike. There'll be no toy toying, and uh, it will deliver at the optimum. Fill us in,
0: Anwar. You know, the fact of the matter is, when it comes to, you know, what we are talking about, die diecast press, it's actually a 9,000 ton press. Where they expect, if, if we go back to the kindergarten days, we used to find those diecast vehicles, those toy cars we used to play around with. You used to find that, you know, it's made of one mold. And, uh, actually Tesla is using or adapting exactly the same Where they're using aluminium because it's actually quite soft material that can mold very easily. That doesn't stress too much, you know, when it comes to the uh, crack and the ability of the, uh, the strength. So they actually use it. So in order by then using the said Tesla, they found that they can actually save 60 cru- uh, crucial uh, points of that vehicle when it comes to the welding part. But on the disadvantage side, obviously, there's a lot of um, uh, unemployment is going to be rife uh, because of this year because, uh, obviously, it's going to replace so many different people on a line. As least we have robot uh, robotics that's actually taking the place. If you look at lines like uh, Toyota and uh, most of the General Motors and all, we have robots actually doing this. And now, at the same time, you need people to actually man the robots. And if you have this die-cast press that will actually uh, press out a complete vehicle, you know, so it has as many advantages as it may have, it has the same amount of disadvantages because we, we know that a, a vehicle that is independently placed where we have independent suspension and the chassis, itself, you know, the, on the impact itself, the color kind of tend to crumble. But here with die-cast, obviously, you most probably will have a pro- problem when it comes to the vehicle. But uh, once again, we're not sure exactly on which vehicle models Tesla is in applying or actually using this uh, Machinery, reason being because if you look at uh, being a full electric vehicle itself, so hopefully he uses the vehicles that is not very really high powered vehicles because I know most of the manufacturers are looking at lightweight also. So there's a number of factors contributing to this year, as I say, advantages and disadvantages. Alhamdulillah, you know, once again, the modern world actually succumbs, and the next thing you know, unemployment is at, uh, at its worst again. So I, I suppose you just have to wait and see the outcome, because a lot of other motor, motor manufacturers are actually implying the same uh, use of technology when it comes to the motor vehicles.
1: Anur, you better correct me here if I'm wrong. Uh, you know, I believe even uh, your car, you know, the spare parts of like maybe an old Cadillac, if you want a spare part for it, uh, you get this printer, you just get that uh, thing for the program put on and you get a, a, a copy of that uh, part that you want and it will be printed out like a die cast. Uh, is
0: that done, Anwar? Yes, most definitely. You know, the, it, it, as far as you went, if you look at the vintage vehicles itself, most of the, the panels on the vehicle, this is an example, is actually obsolete. And, and you actually find that these vehicles you know, you can actually go to some of these guys and they can, they'll can they print it out in a cardboard and they'll hand-make them or it's machine-made, like, like they use a CNC machine. And when it comes to the program, you're talking about the CAD itself, you can actually, whatever it is, the specs, and thereafter you can make it. So I, I remember many years ago, we couldn't get a water pump for, uh, it was a Jaguar, I think, one of those very unusual Jaguars. And I had that uh, water pump actually made out, uh, I think it was about 15, 18 years ago, you know, because the import from England at that time took a couple of months to reach here. So a lot of, it basically you can actually reproduce any part of any vehicle, you know, when it comes to uh, remodeling it.
1: You know, I remember you uh, working on a Hyundai if, uh, and, you know, there was this uh, water pump problem. Not water pump, I think uh, uh, the radiator or something went off. And you actually reinvented the whole piping system, Anwar. And you improvised. You just walked around in your workshop, and I saw you doing this and you doing that. And uh, is that Hyundai still working, uh, alwad I mean, many, given
0: the fact that you were actually talking about something many years ago, but uh, I remember one of the interesting things I actually did, I think it was a Rolls-Royce water pump, and we couldn't get the space for the Rolls-Royce water pump. So I go to one of our guys who actually sells bearings and on a CNC machine, he made a, makes up a seal that actually he gave it to me for free. And I, I bought a thing called a mechanical seal, you know, that fits into a water pump. I pressed out the funds and I put it on and it worked perfectly fine. The whole job on the water pump actually cost me, I remember it was, I think, 32 rands in total. And the water pump, if you you know, anywhere around the region of what, 18,000 rands. So what good impressive I have achieved in my in my life down the line. No, they, you know,
1: brilliant indeed. I talk about Rolls Royce. I mean, you just read my mind. We also have uh, well, Rolls Royce. They chose to do extreme test here in, uh, in 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 South Africa, and they say it's all electric, electric spectra. Uh, spectra. What's uh, what's it all about, Anwar?
0: The reason they actually choose in South Africa, I mean, Rolls-Royce has, uh, uh, I think, quite a good market in South Africa. You know, so when it comes to the the spectra itself, it's a fully electric vehicle. They intend to spend about 4 million miles on the vehicle, on the testing itself. Obviously, it's a very heavy vehicle. And at the same time, they've chosen Cape Town. And the reason they chose Cape Town, because of the weather conditions. You know, uh, temperatures can sometimes soar to 50 degrees Celsius. The roads could be dusty. It could be excellent traveling time. So it has... uh, very unusual weather patterns that equates to many parts of the world. So that is the reason they've actually chosen Cape Town just to actually do this test run. Uh, from what I believe, I think one and a half thousand hours was spent alone on designing the braking system on that vehicle, you know? So, uh, you know, Rolls-Royce, we all know, it stands alone um, in the sense most of everything is actually handmade. And I had the luxury of actually uh, working on quite a few of them. And I remember the first one I've actually done, it was a uh, 68 or 69 Kunish. There was only two in South Africa. And when talking about the braking system, uh the, the reservoir of the brake fluid itself was five liters. It took a total of nine liters of brake fluid in that vehicle because the hydraulic system on that vehicle actually works uh, on brake fluid. Exactly how you have a reservoir where you power brake fluid for conventional brakes, this actually has this big metal tub where you pour five liters, you know, and uh, basically the faster you go, you find the vehicle rises and it drops because everything on that vehicle works on hydraulics and obviously brake fluid. So, yes, Rolls-Royce uh, um, goes without saying, and for a heavy vehicle to be fully electric, I, I think that is something especially considering it's come to the shores in South Africa.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's quite a big vehicle. I mean, uh, the Rolls and uh, electric vehicles and and then you look at it uh the battery i mean uh, uh the lithium battery i mean that that will be uh will cost you an arm and a leg and uh, if you look at the price of our batteries and what uh, people talking about solar panels and uh, uh a friend of mine was telling me he invested uh, something like 80 or 90 grand on it and uh, then what happened he, he says uh you know there was a five-year guarantee but because of this load shedding uh, it wasn't carried, uh, you know, they said, no, it interfered, and the battery died within a year. And uh, they did cover it. They said, no, no, we can't, because uh, uh, the, the the
0: load shedding killed it. What's lost on that, Anwar? You know, lithium batteries, I, I, until they don't find a suitable replacement for those batteries, you know, lithium itself is so well-sourced around the world right now, I know a lot of uh, countries are holding back on the lithium uh, supplies when it comes to the mining of it. You know, a lot is being spent because of of the model itself. But uh, all said and done, it's supposed to last you between five to eight years. I know Tesla and overseas, if somebody had to go and actually check it up, they're having a lot of issues with their batteries because a lot of times the warranty is not met. And, you know, company standards is not as you expect it to be or what is advertised and what you signed for. So when it comes to the solar cars, you know, on TV shows, as I mentioned, there's a lot of negativity that surrounds it because, you know, people are afraid. And I think last week's show uh, was exactly to do with the same when it came to electric vehicles because we don't have uh, enough uh, powering stations, you know, charging the stations for this, uh, Electric vehicles. So we have lithium batteries on one side, we have solar panels on the other side, and we have load sharing. Obviously, all the sides. You know, so it's a very difficult thing to actually have right now in South Africa.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Anwar. And then, uh, hey, we're talking big cars, eh? We're talking big cars this evening. Lamborghini says goodbye to pure V12. With, uh, you know, talk to me about these supercars, uh, Anwar.
0: You know, Lamborghini, I think we all know the history when it comes to Lamborghini and Ferrari, you know. Um, uh, you know, just to put our listeners in perspective a little about the history of it, you know, uh apparently Lamborghini used to actually make farm vehicles, he used to make tractors as such. And you know, the farmer by the trade, and he goes and he buys a Ferrari and finally all said and done, I'll try to condense it. Uh, he goes to a Ferrari, uh, Enzo Ferrari and tells Enzo, you know what, I'm not very pleased with your vehicle. These are a few improvements you could actually make on it to make it a better vehicle, being a sports expensive vehicle. And he got offended because Enzo wasn't very pleased with his response. And Enzo turned around and told him, you know what, if you're so good at track to stick to what you know, you don't know anything about sports cars, so don't dwell in something you don't know. So I think it upset uh, Lamborghini himself, and he goes out and makes a car, one of its kind, up to this very day. Lamborghini still holds that same threshold, uh, holds that same ranking when it comes to that. So here we have a vehicle. Uh, very soon the uh, v 12s will be obsolete. You know it has this raw brute power about it, and um, they, they're going to actually decide as to which vehicle will be the last existing of the V12. And a price and a figure hasn't been set as yet on that vehicle. But uh, whatever it is, I'm sure there'll be buy buys lined up for this vehicle because it'll be one of its kind or the only one in the world. And I suppose the price tag will be relatively high.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, oh, and when the price tag is high, and then, you know, who pays the price for, for, for cars like that? I think on a previous program, they also said uh, Lamborghini, you go there, I think every uh, second Arab prince has got a Lamborghini in his collection. And all these uh, superstars, you know, sports, uh, soccer rights and all, they also have it uh, In their collection, they must have a Lamborghini on, what?
0: Yeah, most definitely. You know, it brings me back to 1984, I think it was. There's an article about one of the prints in Saudi Arabia. And out of spite or out of, uh, I have no idea what I should call it, or ego, you know, he buys a whole lot of Rolls Royces and he creates a picket fence around his house or around his palace with Rolls Royces sticking out of the ground itself. You know, so when it comes to sports cars, I, I remember I had a Kunish once and uh, the vehicle is, the value of the vehicle is actually pertained by exactly who previously owned the vehicle. You see, so most of the vehicles, if you look at Lamborghini, if you look at Ferrari itself, you can't just buy the vehicle and sell it off. You can't do any extras with it, uh, although it might be free-owned. It has to have, you, you must get the consent from the factory, although you own that vehicle. So when it comes to the so-called bylaws on these vehicles, it's relatively high, especially the sport, sport upper-end cars. Yeah, and we're, uh, moving
1: on now from uh, Rolls-Royce. To Lamborghini. Now let's go to the Lexus. Lexus uh, to lead uh, Toyota's uh, electric vehicle push, uh, says the incoming uh, CEO Koji Sato. What's Koji up to,
0: Anwar? You know, the fact of the matter he's been in the company from ninety two you know, and he's a relatively good engineer. Now I I suppose these guys wanna up the market because initially if you go back a few years ago we found most of the electric vehicles was very small light vehicles because obviously battery charge and even once the lightness obviously take you for a greater distance with a less of a charge. But now people, if if you just consider Rolls Royce, a heavy vehicle like that that's over two and a half tons in weight, is going fully electric. You find that a lot of people are actually going on luxury vehicles because there's a market for luxury vehicles when it comes to go green. So obviously Toyota, uh, the one of the brand is obviously, uh, uh, or the uh, the the model or the, the trademark is Lexus itself. You know, so obviously they'll want to actually push forward when it comes to electric vehicle and that is what they're aiming to do. So, you know, Toyota, if you get considered in South Africa, it's still the number one uh, best car side in a uh, vehicle in this country. So even when it comes to the LEDs and such. So, once again, you'll find that they're uh, tending they to the luxury market. And if they get this right, they will actually tap into the luxury market much quicker or much sooner than a lot of other um, vehicle manufacturers. If you're looking at um, Samco, if you're looking at uh, General Motors, they are still a step behind. So, obviously, you know, when it comes to Toyota itself, the Japanese wants to actually progress and go ahead with it. So, I, I think it's a good move in that direction.
1: Yeah, I will agree with you there, Anwar. And also, uh, I like this uh, story here. It says a uh, court orders a refund for buyer who unwittingly bought written-off car. Hey, a lot of people buying written-off cars,
0: Anwar. You know, a lot of times I am asked this question: What is code two, code three, and code four? Now, our listeners need to understand: on the logbook, will we stamp code two, meaning that vehicle is perfectly fine; it's for to be on the road. It is not a rebuild, it's not sold, recovered or anything. So a code 2 is a normal vehicle. A code 3 is either a original off vehicle that's been back on, put back on the road or a stolen recovered vehicle. A code 4 on the other hand is a vehicle that is not supposed to ever be put back on the road. It is mainly used in the scrapyards or actually for stripping purposes only. So code two, code three, and code four. But what we find, if we had to Google and punch into one of those uh, insurance companies as such, or these auctioneers, you'll find a lot of vehicles have smashes, you know, and people buy these vehicles, the said vehicles, they do the relative smash on it, and thereafter they actually sell it to dealerships that actually honor very little of miley or whatever the case may be. Most of the dealerships, in the second-hand vehicles, you have a 30-day on the vehicle itself. You know, if you're not pleased, you go back with it. And here we get a gentleman that actually gets corned out of buying a vehicle that was involved in a smash. Now, one needs to understand also, because if you consider it is not stamped, you know, and agents don't really know that the vehicle was involved in accidents and such because they only worry about the service history of the vehicle. So obviously, you know, when it comes to, if you look around the amount of accident vehicles we have, it is somewhere to the tune of over 30%, you know, that we're not aware of on the vehicles that's on our public roads itself. So yes, depending who does the vehicle, you know, it is actually dangerous. If a person had to buy one of the said vehicles that was involved in a collision, and they that do it appropriately with all the standards in place, and if that vehicle had to pass an AA test for words sake, then I will deem that vehicle roadworthy as such. Not a normal COR as we may know it. But unfortunately in South Africa, they're not very strict on the laws when it comes to vehicles or vehicles that was involved in the collision and being put back on the road. All you got to do is buy the said vehicle, repair the damage we it in that car normally for COR, license the vehicle inside to an unknowing third party. And that's exactly what happened. And here we get a court that actually orders the car sales, the company itself, to reimburse this guy with interest and in everything said and done. And that vehicle that we are actually talking about was actually taken on higher purchase. So people need to be very, really, very really guarded. Always take people that know about vehicles. Spend the extra money when it comes to actually... They most probably think to a workshop, or a reputable dealer so you know, get clarification of it and know that the vehicle was not involved or not tampered with when it comes to mechanical or on the structure of it uh, alone.
1: Now, Anwar, uh, you know, I know you've got an eagle eye for vehicles and also uh, you, just by looking at a vehicle, you'll get to know, no, this car was involved in a crash and so forth. So, you know, be careful. Uh, you know, will you bargain with the guy furthermore? You know, you said, no, I can sort this car out. But what are some of the signs uh, that, uh, you know, individuals should look out for when they're buying secondhand hand vehicles uh, from uh, dealers, uh, Anwar?
0: One of the best health signs I've ever seen, and a lot of people are not aware of it, you know, is when a vehicle is involved in any collision whatsoever, you find that the roof towards the center post, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the side of the post itself or the roof itself, you'll find a very slight kink on it, you know. And the funniest part, the people might actually repair the front end damage or back or whatever it may be. But the one thing that they overlook to repair is the roof itself. So if a person is actually going out to buy a vehicle, just look through the roof itself, on either side where the post actually you know, meets the roof, and you, if you find any ding there, uh, even a slight king, a very slight wave, walk away from that vehicle because somewhere in the vehicle's lifetime, it was involved in some form of collision whatsoever. Although everything might line up perfectly fine, but as I say, look at the roof and that will tell you the exact story. That is one of the best telltale signs which a lot of people are not aware of. Well,
1: a big tip there from Anwar, check the roof out, check for a kink there. Now, hey, I mean, the dealer say, hey, Anwar, man, that was the hailstone that hit it. Then what, what do you do then, Anwar?
0: You know, generally, uh, I, I think honesty is the best part when it comes to vehicles. Obviously, it's the second most ex- valuable asset a person may own after the home itself. Uh, you know, obviously, some cars are worth more than a lot of people's homes nowadays. So it's hard to actually, see, you know, decide which is uh, which. But all said and done, you know, when it comes to, you know, the car itself, you know, if the vehicle has been straight-questionated, there is so many people out there making a killing out of, you know, buying and selling these vehicles. And the funniest part, I can't understand why the government does not endorse it, you know, vehicle collision, or create another code. You know, we've got two, three, and four. Create another code for the vehicle to say that it was actually done and rebuilt or something. Give the people a heads up. You know, it's illegal to sell a vehicle to a customer. And if you do not disclose that the vehicle was obviously involved in any collision whatsoever, you know, but a lot of people, the way cars passes hands nowadays, you know, so obviously the person who actually sells you, finally who ends up with the vehicle and sells it to you, might be unwittingly uh, not knowing that the vehicle was involved in any form of collision. But unfortunately, he said he is settled. If the owner, the person who buys the vehicle actually finds that you have involved a collision, he can get sued for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Spot on the Anwar. And uh, then, uh, hey, this
0: article says, smile,
1: Johannesburg's uh, speed cameras are back in action. So, you know, the Josie people, how they drive, Anwar, who are worse drivers, oh. Josie or <laughs> KZN people? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, Let's do away with that tug of war. Who's better drivers and who's faster drivers? And, you know, I think when we are like it, we spoke like that. You know, when our cousins from Johannesburg came to Durban and say, ah, but you guys drive wild, man. They said, no, you guys don't even know how to drive. You remember those stories
0: on what? I, I remember because when I, took my, when I first bought my CTI, I was young. And I go to Johannesburg. I'm minding my own business on the left lane that was about many, many years ago. And here you get these GP guys deliberately coming behind me and dipping me you know, because we saw ND registration. There was something about ND and DD registration vehicles. When it came down to uh, Durban, I I suppose all people used to do exactly the same to them for some reason. You know, I, I can't really tell you whether either one was haphazard or fast or reckless as such, but for some reason the drivers in Johannesburg and Durban never ever got on. I think times have changed because now everyone is much calmer on the road. I've been to Johannesburg quite frequently and everyone is treat you with respect now, you know. So I, I don't know what it was, but it was a phase. But all said and done, uh, the topic we are actually talking about is, you know, when it comes to the camera systems, uh, and you find that uh, uh, for a whole year there was no camera system in Johannesburg because somebody actually forgot to create a contract you know, a government contract that actually can uh, tick all the guys at beating in Johannesburg. And with that being said, prior to that, there was a three-year contract and those guys lost the contract. And so for a whole full year, and what the Minister of um, uh, Safety actually found, that within the period of year, the accident rate rate actually went quite high, meaning that a lot of people realized in Johannesburg there was no actual cameras, you know, for clicking them every time they passed the speed limit. And... uh all the guys that do it is more leg work because all the revenue that Johannesburg got in that period of time was handled in finds itself. You know, so there's a lot of hard work for uh, traffic officers. So that has changed because now there is a new agreement for new company that's, uh, on a yearly basis. That uh, so basically all the uh, traffic lines will be back. You know, you know, but I, I personally think you know when it comes to this, Shafan, I don't think never people actually pays attention to these fines because really speaking there's such a backlog when it comes to these fines that virtually every year the government writes off millions and millions of fines I mean if you look at the taxi industry itself, they don't care about any fines because you 'll find every occasionally now and again you 'll find the vehicles get impounded, they pay a thousand and seven it comes out again, or sometimes they have to actually allocate or pay the whole amount of fines that is due to them, but that doesn 't happen so frequently, you know so a lot of people don 't really care about the uh, finds itself, whether a camera clicks or it doesn't click. Nobody cares in South Africa because we have such real issues to worry about instead of creating more and more revenue for a government that does absolutely nothing but that money but pockets it in for, the, the, for themselves. So when it comes to that, uh, it may save lives. You know, I, I, I'm not one to condone the fact that you need to ticket people and charge them for every single thing that they do, no.
1: Tanwar, absolutely, and, uh, you know, uh, looking at time has caught up. Your parting words uh, this evening?
0: No, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm out of uh, my hometown in Springo Beach, and, inshallah, when I go back, hopefully the lights might be restored, because we have a very, very light sense of, you know, uh, thought, and when it comes to them, they sort and it. and, inshallah, you know, I hope things changes for the better, and, you know, just to end it off, we had our government speak, our president speak the other day, you know, about his speech, and nothing really made sense, you know, and I'm hoping that somewhere down the line that once again all our people in South Africa can stand together and voice one opinion and make it stand and make it count and maybe then we will actually see some constructive change in a country that we actually built, you know, our forefathers so-called built and we all can live in together as one in harmony. So inshallah, Baral Shafat, it's a good thought and hopefully, you know, it will be fabricated and one day it can be reality maybe to our great-grandchildren. Now, inshallah,
1: you have a beautiful and a lovely evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum, assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa
0: barakatuh. Yes, sir, people, don't go
1: anywhere. It's time for us to go for the Isha'zan, and uh, we will continue after that.